context is Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees not understanding or agreeing with or appreciating Jesus' different attitude towards sinners compared to their attitude. And they, they don't only misunderstand Jesus. What Jesus is trying to help them understand is they don't understand God. They fundamentally miss something about God is really what, what's going on here. So we're going to go through the whole parable bit by bit and uh, see what we can dig out. Uh, two sons from the start, right? It's not the parable of just one loss. It's not the parable of the prodigal. It is about two sons. From the very beginning, there's a man who had two sons in verse 11. There are two of them. And both have issues. Um, imagine the, uh, you were writing a school report for the first son. Or especially you teachers amongst you, amongst us here, or, or, or whatever. I mean, how, what might be on the younger son's school report? What do you imagine? What, what, how would you try, how would you describe him to someone else? The younger son. Challenges authority. He challenges authority. He has issues with authority. Yeah? Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. What else? How would you describe it? Could do better. Could do better. <laughs> Stop it. Right? A free thinker. Oh, okay. That's very positive. That's like that. Yeah. Very positive. What else might we say? Because we might be saying this about ourselves, of course. Anyway. Uh, Lacks focus. <laughs> yeah, anything else? What's his character like? As far as we can tell, we can use our imagination a little bit here. But think about how this might have struck the people who heard it that when Jesus was teaching. Carefree. I'm sorry? Carefree. Carefree. Not thinking too much about the future. Irresponsible. Irresponsible, not thinking about the consequences of actions. Yeah. Unruly. Unruly was a good word. Profligate. Profligate. Three syllables now. Any other three syllables? <laughs> yeah. Selfish. Selfish, going back to two, but okay, we'll take it. <laughs> Inconsequential. Inconsequential. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay, now we're getting silly. So, um, it's, it wouldn't be hard to recognize him if he was in your family. And if you had a chat like this in your family, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, you know, you, you'd know this kind of person, wouldn't you? And they would stand out amongst most people we might know. He's certainly egocentric, selfish, and disrespectful at the very least, because he's breaking this, uh, this commandment to honor your father and mother. He's not honoring his father in this context. So he is a lawbreaker in this context. He's breaking God's law for his own selfish desires. Um, why do you think, I know this is speculative, but why do you think the father did not resist the younger son's request to give him his share of the inheritance? What might have been in his motive? What might have been, uh, from what we know of the father in the parable? Why, why not resist? He had it in his power to legally resist his son's request. So why, why did he not perhaps? His own life experience? Yeah. Well, giving his son Oh, giving his son opportunity for life experience. Yes, okay. Yes. Letting him experience things that might actually help him in the long run. Maybe. Mm. Any other thoughts? He's tired of fighting. Tired of fighting. Maybe this is one out of a long series of incidents of trying to get his, the young son trying to get his own way and maybe he's like, okay well alright then yeah, Simon? I'm thinking he doesn't want to do it to his son because if 
trying to prevent some sort of embitterment. This is what's going on. The, um, 
A really good, if you're ever interested, by the way, a really interesting book on the parables of Luke is, uh, is this book, which you can look at later if you like, which has a great deal of depth and understanding about the parables and the culture of the day. And I just want to read you a little excerpt from uh, some analysis of this particular parable. Um, so, and this is a chap who grew up and lived in the Middle East for many, many years in, in that culture. So in talking about this parable and what happens in this part here, he says, for 15 years I've been asking people all, from all walks of life, from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has almost always been emphatically the same, as I've noted elsewhere. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? This request means he wants his father to die. So, I, I mean, we'll talk more about the father in a minute, but it's still even more remarkable that the father is so gracious and willing to go down this road when he doesn't have to. So, there's a profound break in the relationship between the father and the son. Why doesn't the father go and look for the son? The son wanders off, he goes off to some other land. Why doesn't the father go, go and look for him? I mean, in the other two parables, the shepherd's gone to look for the sheep, and the woman has searched for the coin. This is different. So why, why is that not the case in this parable? What do you think? The father not going. Maybe they're in the hope that the son would return. Okay. Hoping the son would return. <coughs> of his own initiative. Perhaps. Perhaps he doesn't have the resources to go and search for son. Maybe not. Maybe not now. He might think son would be upset about him coming to the throne. Mm, some might resent him. Because he risked losing his life for himself and his older son. We all saw this. The relationship with the older son is clearly not great. So maybe he's worried he won't get back on the land when he, gets, when he returns, maybe. I was just going to say, perhaps he knows the other the one that went away doesn't want to be found. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like. The son doesn't want to be found. He wants a clean break, a permanent break from what we can tell. Yeah. I wonder how the father felt. I mean, I know it's a parable, but you know, Jesus is telling us something about how God feels. How would that feel with the dad? I mean, many of us here are fathers, and uh, even if, or, or a mother, and you know, it's probably that different uh, a feeling. It's very intense, isn't it? What's, mm. what's, what's going on here? The um, the haste is interesting. You normally sale a property in two months. It seems like it's pretty quick here. Um, as the son went round to the various people in the village to look for buyers, uh, so that he could then get the cash. Because um, he would get the land, not cash, that's what would happen. Then he had to sell the land. So he's selling the land to other people locally, almost certainly. And as he goes around, he would find, as he knocked on every door, he'd find hostility. What are you doing? How can you do this? You're dishonoring your father. What are you? What? Eventually, someone buys the land, but he would have encountered great hostility. So he's certainly um, persevering in his actions here. And he gets out as quick as he can, and he goes, and he, there are bad times. 
where he has some good times first as he wanders off to the foreign lands and uh, he has a good time for a while. And uh, it all goes well. He's getting entertained and having a good time, but then the money runs out, of course, and he ends up with the pigs and what, wishing he could eat the food of the pigs, the husks. Apparently that's the kind of thing, the picture that uh, he might have been thinking of eating, which doesn't look particularly appetizing, I have to say. So his situation gets worse, and uh, it, he says he, he attached himself, what's the phrase he used? Uh, it's a really good one. He began to be, he hired himself out of the cities of that country in verse 15. The word there means glued. It's actually he glued himself to somebody because he was so desperate. And he got enslaved, basically because of his uh, spending. This is the wild carob, the serotonia siliqua, which is not enough to keep a man alive. You, it would fill his stomach for a bit, but it won't actually nutritionally keep you alive. It's bitter and thorny and used mainly as firewood. So, he comes to his senses. He sees the relative situation between his current situation and, uh, and what life was like back at home. And he, start, he thinks about going back, he rehearses his speech. What does his solution tell, you, tell us about the way that he's thinking? He decides to go back and he rehearses the speech, he gets an idea in his head of what he will say, and like, maybe like one of your higher men, I've sinned against heaven and against you, no longer worthy to be called your son. What's going through his mind at this point? What's, what's, what's he thinking? What's his attitude like, do you think? Patricia? I think he's, he's definitely uh, repentant. Um, I think he's humbled, humbled by his experience of it. It's, it's looks like, to me, it looks like repentance because he's realising what he's done wrong. So he even says when he came to his senses. Mm. So that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. Something genuine going on there. It's, it's redemption, I think. Looking for redemption? Mm hmm. I think he's just, the full consequences of what's, what he's done. To his father, that kind of, that, yeah, he's, he's realizing that he's in sort of, It's almost like he's realizing he can't be his son's, his father's son because he rejected his father as his father. He understands he can't be what he used to be, but he hopes. But he also, to, I think he also feels that he won't be accepted. Right. Back like that. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise. It would be a different speech, yeah. presumably. Yeah. So there's, there's maybe some trepidation, some fear about the response. Uh, I would, wouldn't you? But he'd be desperate by this time. Yeah. And he's desperate. So, right. That overrides his fears. Yeah. Desperation does. Yeah. Looks like there's no other way, mm -hmm. as far as we can tell. At least not. He'd yeah. certainly be worried about his brother. He'd be worried about the brother. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the older brother. Because yeah. uh, in, uh, in the photograph we saw he was bigger and stronger. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah he, he would be worried. Indeed. I, I wonder whether that sometimes how we might have felt when we lived our lives without God and then thought about, well, you know, maybe there is some spiritual reality. Maybe I should look into finding God and I mean I know for me 
I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a home of church going and, and faith and, and so on. But the idea of really getting close to God, really actually understanding what, what it meant as I studied the Bible, it was, there was some fear involved. I don't know whether you felt a little bit fearful as you studied the Bible. But then we had a motivation, didn't we? We had a drive to be, uh, to be reconciled with God. So we pushed through that fear. There's some fear, I think, but there is also, as you say, very desperation. Um, let's move on a bit here. So he goes back, um, and the father is amazing, of course, and uh, is looking and hoping for his son to come back. And, uh, and then he runs to the, uh, to the son. What does this tell us about the attitude of the father? What does this tell us about the father, would you say? Sorry? He loves his son. Loves his son, yeah. Simon? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. I might have intended to run out for the son with a stick in my hand. <laughs> yeah. But it's also that he missed him. Missed his son. Okay, yeah. yeah. He really wanted him back. Yeah, because, you know, like while he was mm. still a long way off, mm. his father saw him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes. That bit always makes me think he, he was always looking, always hoping. You know what it's Yeah. 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 Your heart there, isn't it? Your desperation of, of reunification. The, um, the, the, the fact that he runs to his son is really quite, it's quite funny in the culture. Um, the uh, author of the book tells of going around to Bedouin tribes telling this story to groups who have never heard it before. These people have never heard of uh, Jesus. These very isolated groups in the, in the mid, mid sort of 20th century, <clears throat> second half of 20th century. And uh, going to these little Bedouin groups and telling the story of the prodigal son through a translator. He tells the story of telling the story and. and Say a, a few verses and the translator will translate it. At one point, all the Bedouin men in this tent laughed. And he couldn't work out why they laughed because um, it wasn't a joke in the story exactly. And he, he said he wondered whether the translator had translated it wrong or something like that. And he said, Why did they laugh? And, he, and the translator asked them and they told him. And the translator said to this chap, He said, Well, they, they laughed because the older the man, is, the, the father is an older man. I mean, he, no, no one of his age runs anywhere. That's ridiculous. <laughs> to them, it was hilarious that in a story an older man would run. It's something we don't get, you know, quite mm -hmm. grasping that culture. And he tells another story here I'll just uh, share uh, briefly with you about this idea of running. He says this, a pastor, this, is, this is in the modern day, well, it's 20th century anyway now, so we're even 2,000 years later, in that culture, still the same kind of idea. A pastor of my acquaintance was not accepted as the pastor of a particular church because, in the judgment of the elders, he walked down the street too fast. <laughs> so when you get an interview, right? And part of the interview is, how fast do you walk? And you get hired or not hired on how, you know, oh no, he walks too fast. So it, it's just undignified. It's seen as undignified in, in, that, uh, in that culture. Part of the, and, and people still walk at a very slow, dignified pace if they're older, and particularly if they have any spiritual responsibility like a priest. Walk nice and slow. 
So interesting. The father there runs, which means that looks disgraceful to everybody. It looks disgraceful to his family, to his friends, to his uh, to the people on the estate, to uh, other local villagers who would know of, see of, hear of this thing. So it looks not only funny, but it looks disgraceful. You, that's terrible. You don't do that. He doesn't mind the shame or the disgrace. He's uh, he's more interested in making sure his son feels loved. So. Uh, he gets the robe, he gets the ring, he gets the sandals, very important, and there's a big party for everybody. Okay, so son number one is back home. Son number two is already home, but kind of not home, in a different way, right? Uh, he's not at the party, uh, he ought to be. I mean, he doesn't, says he doesn't know what's going on, but actually he really ought to know. He should be the one in charge, actually, at the party. Uh, he should be the one at the door. In this culture, if, you're, if the father throws a party, He's on a throne, basically, a big old chair in, in some part of inside the house, and he's there receiving the guests, and the guests will come in, and the older son is at the door. The older son is at the door saying, welcome to everybody, I'm very honoured to have you here, please come and, and see my father, and he will take them to the father, and when all the guests were in, he'd be mingling, making sure that everybody had enough food to drink or whatever, and, and, and representing the father to all the people, but he's out in the field somewhere, he's not part of this, he's... He's missing out, uh, whether accidentally or deliberately or a mixture of both, it's not entirely clear. So um, the father again does another disgraceful thing. He runs out of his own party to go and find his son. Again, something that would never happen. You, you would be receiving people rather than going out to find somebody. And so he goes out to see his son, and the son is disrespectful uh, again in that when he's out there, uh, the father goes out and all these years, oh yeah, so he refused to go in, verse 28, not only was he not in, he refused to go in. The father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look. And again, you know, in that culture, you don't just say to your dad, look. You, you, you use a respectful title, an honorific title towards your father. So again, there's a great deal of respect, uh, disrespect towards the father here. He seems to have the attitude of a slave, not that of a son. I've slaved for you all these years. He's, the younger son is estranged and rebellious while out of the house, whereas the older son is estranged and rebellious while, in a sense, in the household of his father. In some ways, there's no difference. In some ways. He doesn't see his brother as a brother any longer. He doesn't see his brother in the same way that his father sees his younger brother. And it's his attitude that prevents him from being able to celebrate. There's a wonderful thing going on, but he's not part of it. You could say he's a hypocritical saint. He's acting saintly. I've been here all these years. So, he calls his son, my child, I think is the phrase, isn't it? Is that the phrase he uses? My son, verse 31, okay, my son, the father said, and that's tekon, which is the word for child. So he's, he's saying, he's using a word, a term of deep affection, even for this rebellious son. So his attitude towards both sons is the same, both love for both of them equally. Uh, let's just talk for a little bit about what this means for us. As we think about the younger son and the older son, um, can I ask us to think, just for a minute, take a moment to think, and which, which son do you identify with most? We'll talk about the father in a minute, but I just want to talk about the sons for a minute. Which son do you identify with most and why? 
And then if you're willing to, just share something in a minute. So take a moment to think, pray in your head, uh, ask God for insight. Take a moment and just ask, okay girls, which, which one do I identify with? Not in the past, but let's say now. Right now. And I know there's a range. I know it's I'm not asking us to be black and white about this. But just think about it for a minute. doing things 
I've learned what life is all about and the spiritual journey. My brother, on the other hand, has been very straight and worked hard and very aware about his life is even <laughs> opposites. You know? Isn't that funny how brothers could be so different? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've done all the stupid things. And, but it's, it's life's journey. And you'll find that the son, the old younger son in this, has learned what it is to love. He knows that, which he's had all these experiences, and he regrets what done. Because of that, he now knows what he had. He, the blessing for the younger son, although there's a lot of pain in his life, particularly is that he knows now what it means to rejoice Absolutely. and he knows what it means to receive love, yeah. undeserved love, yeah. with all of its fullness. Yeah. Whereas the older son hasn't. He's still a bit bitter. Mm. Something going on there. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? I think that, he, you know, you asked about now and I think that the older son, you know, I think that even in you know, just personally speaking about spiritual life. And I think that I have experienced a feeling of being like the older son where you've been a Christian for so many years and you feel like you're giving and doing all the things, you know, that, that you're told to do and that you do do and, you know, and everything else. But then other people who you know, you personally perhaps don't feel are, are doing, you know, brilliantly spiritual or whatever, seem to have then lots of blessings, and then you feel like your own life is a little challenging at times, and, you know, where's, and I, so I'm just trying to be really brutally <coughs> honest about that I think that, you know, you can look at it, sort of the before and after Christ, perspective, but I think there is a danger being a little bit like the older son as a Christian as well. Yeah, absolutely there is, yeah. One more if someone wants to. We'll wrap up and take communion. Husbands aren't allowed to nudge their wives. Is <laughs> <laughs> that something else? Sure. Um, on this scripture, the one thing that um, wasn't focused on here, which is always impacted me about the scripture when I was studying the Bible before becoming a Christian, it always impacted me. Um, and I know it's a parable. Um, but the, um, the son says, you know, I've sinned against heaven, uh, I will sit down and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, maybe one like a hired man. So he went up and went to his father. Um, and when the father saw him, he came running out to him kissed him, uh, threw arms around him, kissed him, etc. And if that was me, I would have thought, hmm, okay, oh well, I'm starting to go with this. But what Jesus reiterates is the son still says, you know, I'm not worthy to be, I have sinned against you, I'm not worthy to be, so please make me like a higher man. Whereas, I think it's human nature to think, ooh, I need to go that far. Right. And that always impacted me when I was first time I well, I think that's kind of where, where we'll, we'll sort of draw this thing to its point, which is really that a large part of the parable is really about the father 
and it's important that we identify accurately where it's appropriate for us to identify with the younger son or the older son. And certainly as Jesus is speaking to the group around him, he is trying to help the Pharisees understand that they are the older son and that they have the wrong attitude towards the sinners who love Jesus and love hanging out with him and feel that sense of unconditional acceptance and love for Jesus. That the Pharisees have got the wrong attitude. I mean, this, this is a contextual point here. And the truth is, you know, that I think it's not just you or me, but it, it's in very much ingrained in human nature that we consider ourselves to be better or superior to somebody. Even, honestly, I think, you know, some of us may think, oh, no, no, I don't feel like I'm superior to anybody. But you think you're superior to everybody who, who, uh, who sometimes thinks they're superior to other people. <laughs> so, it, it, there isn't a... There, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any way out of this. I, I think there's a, there's a looking down on thing, you know, wherever we are in, in, in life and, and so on. So we've got to be very, very careful about this. And it's important for us to engage with the reality of our, um, our uh, uh, pride, which is what's going on here. And the tragedy of it is that the pride prevents the people who could be close to God enjoying being and celebrating because the, the, the end of the story the end of the story is actually kind of a mixture of hope and tragedy because it doesn't end with resolution mm. it ends with the <coughs> saying of the old son look you, you really need to come and celebrate uh, when it says we have to celebrate translation actually could equally be but you have to celebrate it could be the father saying to the older son you really need this uh, you need to come celebrate you need to you know, have this uh, uh, relationship with me, like a brother in that house. So we need to celebrate. We've got this offer. The Christian life is challenging. You said, you know, things are tough sometimes, and it is true. All of us have felt that. But it also should be that we can celebrate. And even if we can't celebrate what's happening, we can celebrate our relationship with God. If we have the attitude of the inside. The Father is incredible. Um, his, he is kind of the point in many ways. And uh, we have been given the same uh, benefits as, uh, as the young son with new clothing. It's prophesied in Isaiah and it is uh, laid out there in Galatians 3 that we've been clothed with Christ. Like the young son's given the robe of the father. Now we've been given a new identity in Christ. We've been clothed in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And that he was willing to suffer the shame of cross as it says in Hebrews 12. The shame of the cross. The father suffers shame in this story multiple times from different angles. Jesus suffered shame for us on the cross willingly because of the joy set before him and because then we can enjoy that joy. We get to join in it. Which is why we're going to take communion in a minute. So Neil's going to come up and uh, take us to that.